Hi, and welcome back to the AMPS podcast. My name's Owen Peters. And I'm Owen Shirley, and you currently find us outside a pub in a beer garden on the dockside of Bristol Harbour, um, in the middle of a very rare British heatwave, and we're enjoying some late evening warmth. Yeah, and this time we uh, caught up with Cara Shepherd, Managing Director of Twickenham Film Studios, for a chat all about her career and the things she's doing currently in that role. Um, Cara's had an incredible, an incredibly varied career across production and post, uh, as well as being the managing director for the famous Delane Lee post-production facilities in Soho, before moving to her current role in Twickenham. And Twickenham has a, a unique place in British film in terms of both its location in relatively central London and, as well, and its history, which um, spans over 100 years and extends across the whole of Sound for Motion Picture. Uh, so we really enjoyed t talking to Cara and asking her about some of um, her background and um, the background at Twickenham and also where uh, she hopes to take the studios in, in future. And we carried out this interview recently via Zoom with Cara in her studio at Twickenham Film Studios. And um, yeah, Owen began by asking her about the history of the place. Welcome to the AMPS podcast, Cara Shepherd, um, Managing Director of Twickenham Film Studios. Thank you. It's great to have you here to chat to us. Of course, Twickenham Film Studios are a great supporter of AMPS. They've been a sustaining member for a long time. So this is really nice to be able to have this chat. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. I look forward to talking to you. Yeah. So just to kind of start off, we were just wondering if you could set the scene for us and just describe what Twickenham is about and what it tries to be for its clients and productions. Sure. So um, Twickenham is um, the UK's oldest film studio and was built in 1913. Uh, and at that time, if you can believe it or not, if you know the size of the uh, stages, was the biggest studio. Uh, and now we're, uh, we're, we're, we're got much smaller studios than most of the uh, the big uh, American conglomerates. But um, we've always been um, fairly synonymous with um, creative talent and supporting services as well. So, um, you know, as well as shooting many very famous movies sort of in these four walls, um, Zulu, The Italian Job, um, you know, the hundreds of movies, A Hard Day's Night, The Beatles recorded Hey Jude here. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, real incredible history here. Mm. Um, and, you know, alongside that, obviously, there's uh, new owners of the studio. They've, um, th that was done literally just before lockdown last year. So perfect timing to buy a film studio. <laughs> and, yeah, we're now new investors um, and with... with uh, slightly deeper pockets because unfortunately running a film studio especially that of which has a huge amount of technology running through it is a very expensive thing to upkeep yeah right um and you know um Sonny Vora who's still involved um who bought the studio originally when it went into administration about 10 years ago I believe he's still involved he's still the chairman of our board but um but obviously um, now we've got some more financial backing behind us and I've come on board now is the time to you know uh revolutionize it I think really bring it up into the 21st century um and not only cosmetically but I think you know in terms of technology and infrastructure and making this a real sort of um technology and innovation hub um which is a real passion of mine 
um, and you know, really growing what we already have, supporting our incredible talent, uh, award-winning talent that we have here across sound, which has been the sort of golden jewel in the crown of Twickenham for, for many years and as well as many movies shooting here, a lot of movies have been finished here, you know, huge studio tentpole movies, huge movies that we're all very familiar with and uh, and know and love. So it's all about keeping the studio open because unfortunately we'd all love to shut the studio, completely redo it all and then open it up again. But that's just, it's not a feasible decision, unfortunately. So we have to make sure that we're able to keep the studio functioning. Uh, while we do the renovation and the development works, which are pretty extensive across the site. So our planning permission is in at the moment for some new buildings and and some real renovation work. Because a lot of buildings here are, uh, there's a couple of 1950s buildings, but um, a lot of them are original and uh, need a fair bit of upkeep and new roofs and all the sexy stuff. (laughs) Um, as um, As well as, you know, basically uh, ripping out the the kind of network infrastructure and architecture that we have here and rather than just sort of papering over the cracks really turning this into um, you know a real tech and innovation hub as I said before. Yeah well because you mentioned that uh, so the, 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 the studios were actually established in 1913, is that right? Yeah that's right yeah that's when they were built. So that's pre-film sound? Yes. So, so you've sort of the first studios is a facility that spans the entire history of sound for motion picture, which is really yes. interesting. And I understand yeah. you're um, you're currently refurbishing your two main um, re-recording studios. Is that right? Is that ongoing or is that completed now? We are. So we've completed one and actually the, the finishing touches uh, to the other one, there is a new carpet being laid uh, on, on Monday. So um, and that will be the final piece of it. But we've done an extensive amount of um, proper acoustic works um, with some acoustic specialists. We've sort of changed the shape of one of the rooms okay. uh, and spent the best part of almost two million pounds on on the rooms, wow. um, updating them, um, AMS Neve hybrid S6 desks, um, new editor workstations, new Pro Tools rigs, um, everything. It's all been gutted uh, on, but, you know, so we now have two huge dub stages, which are Dolby Atmos um, and IMAX Sound as well, which is fantastic. Cool, yeah. And um, quite a brilliant team on site as well to run those rooms Yeah. and mix those films, which is somewhat unique again for a UK studio. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think, um, you know, a lot of the studios that also had supporting services and supporting creative services and, and um, you know, dailies and picture and sound and everything that goes to support the shooting stages have been closed down um, because they are very expensive and very time consuming to upkeep um, in favour of just building more big sheds because that's what the industry needs. But unfortunately, that has led to, you know, a bit of a shortage of um, kind of, I guess, the old movie studio style of of everything on the lot. Um, But at the same time, while wanting to keep that and maintain that and build that and expand what we already have here... Um, we want to make sure that we do it in a good way, in a quality way, but also for the clients, um, making sure that they don't feel that they have to do everything here. 
but it's a choice. You can pick and choose as much or as little as you want. We can do, you know, from script to screen here if you would like us to. Uh, and we, we would love to do that. But if you just want to come and shoot some ADR here, we can do that too. It's a great thing to hear. And I'm imagining if we can just kind of bring it up as a subject we're probably all tired of hearing of, uh, that when we had COVID and the big lockdowns, I imagine it was quite helpful having that kind of flexibility within the studio. Uh, I think so. I think it was, you know, it was obviously a big shock, I think, to everybody in the industry. But we were actually the first studio to reopen. Um, We reopened... um, actually because there was a big show that wanted to mix here and um, we had actually said, I'm really sorry, we're closed. Uh, And this was the end of, so we closed, I guess it was the same time as everybody else, which was March time, end of March. Um, And this was actually uh, in April. Um, There was a a big Hollywood production that said, we need to final mix our film. We said, oh, that would be lovely. Can you wait a few months? We're very sorry we're closed at the moment. They said, no, uh, we really need to do it now. And that was the reason we reopened studio so early and put in, you know, COVID protocols and spent a great deal of time and money um, sort of setting it up and um, which, you know, some some of the protocols are, in fact, most of the protocols are still in place and have been or have been amended and improved um, to ensure that we could open, you know, testing across our staff, splitting into teams, a one way system across the site, CO2 monitors in all of our recording stages and, um, you know, uh, dubbing theatres and, and sound stages. Um, you know, there's there's a great deal of effort that went into getting it ready so that we could, in fact, mix this tentpole feature, which was which was amazing that we could do that. And obviously that, along with many other big titles, are currently sat on the shelf waiting for the right time to be released. So yeah. hopefully we'll see that. We'll see that soon. But um, but that was the reason that we um, that we opened early. So we've been, um, you know, up and fully functional for for over a year now. Um, which, you know, and I count us very lucky that we've been able to do that. Um, You know, a lot of facilities and and other studios have suffered much more than we have. And I think it's through circumstance that we opened so early. I think, you know, we... um, we wanted to be able to fulfil this for a long-standing client, uh, a very big client of ours, um, and we we had to make sure that we did it in a very safe way. Um, but for many reasons, I think that was a blessing in disguise, us being able to do that, uh, and enabled us to ramp up slowly. So that I think we were a little bit ahead of many people through circumstance. Um, but um, I was actually sat on a... Uh, uh, facilities council for the UK screen board meeting a couple of weeks ago um, and every single member of the board was sat at home and I was the only one as I am now sat in my office oh, right. and um, and everyone was like oh you're going back into work and I was like we've been we've been here for a year yeah. uh, <laughs> so um, so yeah it's uh, you know it's I think it's quite easy within the four walls to sometimes forget uh, the outside world and, and the pandemic, apart from, you know, people wearing masks and things inside, it's the film industry has been treated um, pretty much um, like an essential service, really. Yeah. Um, you know, although we were shut down, although I think we are now in post seeing the lull um, because of when all the productions were shut down and when they stopped. Mm-hmm. I think that's now having a knock on effect currently in post-production. 
Yeah. Um, I think a lot of things are going into, you know, they're going into editing and cutting and, um, you know, track laying and, and various other bits and pieces. But there was certainly a, a big gap where you would have your massive final mixes at the end of the year in time in terms of delivering shows. Um, and I think that's, you know, we're now seeing the peak happening now, whereas we would have seen it probably in November or December before. Mm. Sure. That, yeah, that's something we're feeling as well very much uh, here in Bristol, where we're based. Um, that, yeah, it's kind of maybe, as speaking with a lot of people, there is there is a big wave on the horizon of, of productions coming up. Um, I know you've spoken before about having a very busy potential slate. Yeah. Um, so fingers crossed that that, uh, that really develops. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think we're all hoping for that. And I think we're all hoping that it's going to come out the other side. And um, and aside from, you know, a couple of productions here and there recently being closed down, I think everything is, you know, really ramping up. Um, and I think we're, we're already starting to see a shortage of talent being available. Um, and I think, you know, even in terms of um, people trying to get assistant editors and editors on shows and post supervisors and, and all that kind of stuff, I think we're seeing a real shortage there at the moment. Um, and I think, you know, we're going to start to see a shortage of dub stages. And um, we're also seeing schedules that are, I mean, schedules in post-production. Who has ever stuck to version oh, yeah. one of a post-production <laughs> schedule, right? Yeah. Uh, normally, I don't, I don't count it as nearly solid until you're on version 32 or oh, something. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but you know you're seeing a lot of big shows, big temples that are kind of falling on 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 top of each other. And mm. ordinarily you would um, be at the mercy of your post supervisor saying, well, you have to accommodate these days and having to shift a little bit. Um, and now we're seeing it that the the people are having to move their schedules to accommodate to ensure that they can get in for final mixes and ensure they can get into grader show. Um, and availability of you know of talent for recording um, dialogue, it's um, it's 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 funny how it's flipped on its head. But I'm hoping this is a this is a run up, but I don't see it slowing down. Right, interesting. Yeah, so I mean, you touched on a couple of things there about referring to post supers, and in your earlier in your career, you've worked as a, a post supervisor. Yes. Um, and before that being in production as well, um, yeah. as well as TV and film. So it's really interesting to me that, that you must have this very broad overview from personal experience of those different roles or perspectives. Yeah, I think it's, I'm, I'm a slightly weird little unicorn in that sense, I think. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it has enabled me um, and given me many advantages of the fact that I have been the client um, I have been um, the uh, I have been the the broadcaster or the production company, um, and I also have been the facility. So you know, I never walk into this studio without client size, and I try and teach my my crew that is that you know look at things. If you see something on the floor, pick it up. If you notice the toilet papers out, tell somebody. Um, you know, and it's um, it's the things that clients notice. You know. Um, one facility that I, that I went into, um, I went into, and they had <laughs> this. Will, this will uh, probably make you laugh, and it's probably something that people wouldn't notice. But um, there was plastic flowers, and I hated it. I hated it with a passion. <laughs> um, and that was one of the first things I changed. And it was single ply toilet paper and pink industrial hand soap. <laughs> and there was just and and the coffee was 
awful. Um, you know what? And as a client, when you're spending hundreds and hundreds of pounds an hour, yeah. um, you know, that is not coming out of your pocket. But what you do care about is when you're sitting there trying to make it work, keeping your talent happy and uh, them not m- whinging about the toilet paper and how bad the coffee is yeah. um, and things like that. And I think it enables you to appreciate things from a different angle rather than just looking at it or how it how it affects you in your little universe of being the service provider um it helps you understand it from a client's perspective i think i have a better relationship with a lot of big clients especially the american studios um because they understand i've been in their shoes and they understand and i think that they appreciate you seeing it through their eyes mm-hmm. um and and i have a, a long standing relationship from from when i was on their side of the fence uh before i jumped to to the dark side of facilities <laughs> um and um and i think it's given me a really um well-rounded view of a lot of areas of the industry. Um, As I said, working in production, um, hugely advantageous. I've worked all around the world and been been very lucky in that sense. Um, And working in post and then working in various facilities um, and then working at a broadcaster as well. And I think um, certainly it's given me exposure to technology and vendors and service providers and... Um, understanding workflow and where the industry is going before the industry knows about it. And and I think working closely with all those people gives you um, a different level of knowledge that you, you wouldn't stumble across every day if you just come from one world or the other. Yeah. So how many staff do you have at Twickenham at the moment? So we have about 40 permanent staff. Okay. Uh, and then we flex up and down with freelancers, but... Uh, as part of my business plan going forward into the next few years, um, we have more people planned to come on as we bring on additional services and facilities. Um, but we're looking to kind of expand, but do it in the right way and in a strategic way as well. I think that's um, that's incredibly important because it's all very well going, oh, we need to bring this online and we need to do that and we need to do this. Well, you know, there's no point in us refurbing these dub stages and bringing on a load of additional mixed techs and sound assistants and a sound editorial team and, and all the rest of it. And, you know, there are certain portions that need expanding uh, and we're struggling to uh, fit it on the site. So we're, we're looking at uh, other alternatives of, um, you know, how we can best serve our clients um, and ensure we maintain the quality and do it in a strategic way rather than just a bit of a scattergun way of going, oh, that's what that place is doing. Oh, look, they that um, service provider's brought that online and this company's now doing this or that person's hired that person, which I think is a is a trap in the post-production world of, you know, having worked for several facilities that you can, um, you can be tempted by because you see it works for one and and you know and I think a lot of a lot of people go along that route you know they see somebody open a new department or a new facility and it's very easy to go well that clearly works for them they're making lots of money that's where all the clients are going let's do that um and I think you have to be very careful not to step into that trap and you have to you know understand your location understand your strengths your qualities your USP um what makes you you and not try and run too far away from that and um sometimes you just have to take a step back and figure out the best way to do it one of the other unique things about Twickenham of course is that it's so residentially placed yes and so centrally based in London and so visible and part of the community so um 
do you find that being an advantage for the studio as well that you are uh located very much in london and, and as part of a, a borough yeah yeah i think so i mean we're we're the only studio that has all the the services that support the stages as well um this close to london and obviously we're on the train the tube line um and i think it offers us um many advantages I think, you know, the we have a good relationship with the local residents and obviously running a film studio is not a, a quiet or an easy business. So we we maintain a good relationship with our, our local residents to ensure that we keep we keep them happy and that we're not disturbing their peace because obviously they live here and, and we're a business and, and while we have to be commercial, we have to ensure that um, that we that we keep everybody who lives very very close to the studio um, as happy as possible so we work quite closely with them but our location offers us huge advantages you know we're very close to Heathrow as well as being you know very close to central London you can get a train to central London and you know if you get the fast train in 15 minutes um, we're very close to Richmond which is very nice and I think you know being out and having shot uh, when I was in production at many different studios, um, you know, you had the local BP garage down the road and that was about it. Um, whereas here we've got, you know, a whole high street and you've got Richmond and we've got some great cafes and, and some fantastic things going on. And it's nice that it's, um, I mean, the studio itself, because it's so old and has been around for such a long time, has a huge personality to it anyway. And you can literally feel the history kind of seeping out of the walls. And, um, St Margaret's is a very kind of historic place as well. Um, a lot of old buildings, beautiful architecture um, and and some, you know, really nice people. There's a lot of media people that live around here. Um, and so it's actually, it fits in very well with what we do here. Um, so I was just kind of coming back to another point there. Um, we were talking very much about redevelopments and futures and COVID's played its certain part in maybe... Uh, fast forwarding some of those elements but um, I was wondering what your insights might be on on how the industry has developed in your eyes from what you've seen across all departments in the last sort of 10 years or so and and where you think it's going based off that um, and the plans you have at Twickenham. Yeah I think um, you know the industry you know you look at back at old Hollywood and the um, actors used to sign 10-year deals with the studios and you know uh, on the big studio lots movies were done under one roof you know that's where they were done they were done on the studio lot and all the services were provided there and the the picture was owned by that studio and and that's how it was done and then we the industry went through a period um I think with sort of technology and the advancement of technology and workflow of you know creative sort of going out so you had visual effects companies and colorists and you know you had um, sound facilities and everybody you know big creatives directors producers showrunners they had their own preference of where they wanted to go for their grade or where they wanted to record their ADR or where they wanted to mix or who their sound supervisor was everybody wanted to cherry pick their own people um, and I think that's still that's still certainly the case. But I think with the um, streamers coming online, um, not only have you seen a massive growth in the volume of content required, so you've seen an acceleration in production and, and how many productions are made, but also with that come compressed schedules. Um, you know, I mean, when in your life could you have imagined saying 15 years ago, Martin Scorsese is directing telly? 
I mean, you just, you just, you, you mind blown. Um, but you know, that is the case. And, and, you know, they're using the same um, production value, quality and talent, you know, in episodic content that you would have had in the feature world. Um, so instead of delivering, you know, 90 minutes, you're now delivering 10 one hour episodes, you're now delivering, you know, eight, 10 times the volume of content in a period of time where your creative is on site. So you could be shooting, you know, your first, second, third block. And then by the time you're on your third block, your director should also be in the edit. But he also needs to be looking at the grade and he also needs to be working with a sound supervisor. So now you're seeing geography being a problem again with condensed schedules. So you're now seeing, um, as I said a lot with the, with the streaming content especially, people needing to be close by. So um, a lot of the, you know, I think probably five, ten years ago, what you would have seen at Twickenham is people coming here for their mix or coming here to film. Um, but what I've seen um, here and, and when I was at Warner Brothers was um, people looking to do more services under one roof because, you know, their creatives, their directors, their showrunners needed to go between the grade, the mix, the edit, the stages um, and, and their time couldn't be spent walking the streets of Soho or in a, in a car or, um, or whatever, and they needed to go between all these different services. So I think we've, we've kind of gone, almost gone back to the old studio model of, of everything on the lot. But as I said previously, you know, we don't want to say to people, that's the only thing we offer. We can offer, if you want to come and record two lines of ADR, we can offer you that. If you want us to deliver script to screen, everything on the lot, we can also do that. And it's about designing whatever the client needs. Yeah. So, and you're talking about compressed schedules. Um, mm. And and also you mentioned earlier about wanting to expand Twickenham strategically, which obviously a key thing of that is recruitment. So yes. what, um, do you have specific kind of ideas for, for recruiting people in, in, in the industry and particularly with a view of kind of diversity because, you know, we know we have div a diversity issue in the industry and thankfully people are really starting to kind of acknowledge that and talk about it now, but yeah, trying to kind of find the answers of how to kind of give more people opportunities in the industry. I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, um, what I've seen of being in this industry is there are a lot of people that make a lot of noise about inclusivity and diversity and tick the right boxes, mm. but do it from a publicity point of view rather than actually looking at where the heart of the issue is. Because it's not cherry picking people from, you know, um, in, in a barrel and picking the people that tick the right boxes. It's about encouraging the right people into the pool. Yeah. Um, and that's where, you know, I feel really passionately about that because we're only going to do ourselves as an industry a disservice if we don't do that. We're already seeing a shortage of talent. Yeah. You know, and I think by bringing people um, on from different backgrounds... Um, different ethnicities um, that only adds to it because it's different perspectives it's different life experiences it's different people and I think London especially is an incredibly international city mm -hmm. um, and an incredible um, sort of variety of people and you know, uh, I think this industry is well known for, you know, oh, the Friends producer's, you know, son or whatever is coming on for work experience. And, and we've all experienced it. And a friend of a friend and, and, and 
it's, you know, we are still stuck in a little bit of a white middle class um, box, unfortunately. And I think, you know, but I think it is also important to acknowledge we're not going to change that overnight. Mm -hmm. And I think if we try and do that, we're going to put people in positions that they're not, they're not in a position to be able to deliver. Um, So I think it's about acknowledging that we need to change it fundamentally. We need to look at encouraging the right people and making our industry more accessible to those people. Because, you know, if you're sat on the outside of it and you come from, you know, inner city London and you don't know anybody from any portion of the industry, um, then, you know, looking at it from the outside in, it's it's a very high wall to climb. You have no idea what these people do. You have no idea what a mixed tech is. You have no idea what goes in and all the people and all the talent required to make a film or make a TV show. So you don't even have an awareness of what's available. So, you know, we're looking at working with a lot of programmes, a lot of schools, um, and trying to advertise what we do and how we do it and the craft of making film to try and encourage those people that don't often have the visibility of what we do because it's really cool, right? We all do this job because we love it. It's really cool. And I think to be in this industry, it runs through your veins. And, um, you know, I actively want to encourage those people and go, look at what we do. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, And try and and hit the people at the right age groups. And also looking at, you know, um, as well as that, looking at people who have taken time out to have kids, you know, people who have been out of the industry for 10, 15 years, you know, bringing up a family. And I I mean men and women, you know, and have been out of the industry and and want to come back, encouraging them back. It can be a a really terrifying thing to to look at coming back to. It's It's a very fast moving beast, this industry. Um, And I think it's about not only, you know, waving your flag and saying, oh, we hire people from these groups and we have this many women working for us. But essentially, are you going? Are you encouraging those people? Are you telling people what you do? Are you spending that time bringing people in? Are you actively supporting, you know, training programmes and apprenticeships and and really doing it and not just doing it because it's a good thing to do and you're ticking a box? Yeah. Um, And I think it's, you know, a huge amount of integrity um, is required from a lot of people and everybody needs to play their part in this Um, because I think it's very easy to say you do it, but whether you do it or not is different. And um, and it's something I feel and the team and the board here feel incredibly passionate about. And we're working really actively towards trying to... um, shout about what we do um and, and not not from just a pr or marketing marketing perspective but also from um encouraging different groups of people and different perspectives and different um you know lifestyles and um that only adds you know more variety and, and spice of life to what we already do right yeah i mean it's definitely about letting people aware that these are career options you know, because you exactly. won't you won't be told that in school. You won't you know you won't realise the number of different skill sets and trades that are involved in making a film, making a TV program. Exactly. And unless you have some connection there already, you just don't see it as an option. It doesn't even enter no. people's mind. You know, so that's the, yeah, yeah, it's really encouraging to hear you say that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it is. It's, um, you know, people just don't realise. We take it for granted. We all know what people do. We all know those job roles. And you take it for granted, I think, that, you know, even coming from production, people in post mm. sometimes don't know what people in production do. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, and it's it's understanding different roles and, and what it takes and, um, you know, coming as a as a runner in the door. And you don't, you know... You don't expect people to know what they want to do day one, straight out the um, straight out the gate. Mm. Um, but it's about giving people a different flavour of the industry, and and as I said, actually talking about what we do because it is you know it's very easy just to keep going, keep running, keep making content. But um, what we do is really cool, and um, and and I think uh, that's something we should share. Yeah. And would you, for anyone who's listening, because we do um, encourage people who kind of are studying or just have an interest in getting into the industry, you know, to listen to the podcast, is there any particular advice you might have for kind of new starters or people who are just sort of like the idea of working in the industry? And as you say, don't even necessarily have an idea of what they want to do or how they might do it. I think it's just about getting your foot in the door and, you know, it's very easy to think you can come out with a degree and a degree is many great things and it teaches you an awful lot. But unfortunately, in the film industry, you will still have to start as a runner. Mm. Uh, and that is that is the sad fact of it. And it is the hardest job. It's the hardest job. If you can survive that, you can survive anything. <laughs> but it is an incredible way to, to join and, and to see everything and to see what people do and get a flavour of it. Um, and I think, you know, one thing for me is something I actively say to people is be polite and be persistent because, you know, the industry is very busy and, and I try, if I can, I give time to people and I will always talk to people. I will always reply to emails, um, you know, if we can do. And we did, we actually last week did an intake day for people who had applied for work experience and runners and we did a whole day of workshopping with those people and this is what we do and this is how we do it and is this something you think you'd want to do? Because, you know, we're actively promoting from within. So, you know, we need to backfill our team of runners. We get a lot of people who are requesting work experience. And, you know, if you are still studying, then go out, do some work experience, go and see some production companies, you know, contact some sound supervisors, go and speak to some studios, you know, because we are all, as facilities, used to getting letters, people saying, can I have some work experience? Can I come and work for you for a week for free? Can I come and shadow your sound team? You know, and if, uh, you know, I speak for us and, and facilities that I have worked at before, if you can accommodate it, you will. Um, and um, that is a good way to get your foot in the door. And then, you know, if you kind of pass the mustard test and, and, and you like it and you work hard at that, then you are the first in line for choice of when runner jobs come up. And they do come up very regularly because, um, you know, people do move on and they go, actually, post-production isn't for me. I want to go and work in an art department on production. So they'll go and work on a production. So... Um, I think it's about being polite and being persistent and not taking no for an answer. 
Um, because if you're that way and doing your research, you know, if somebody writes me an email and they they say, dear Sarah, and it's like they clearly copied and pasted an email. Mm. And, and, and while, listen, we've all done that. Yeah. Um, if somebody actually actively, uh, strangely, I, we put a job advert out recently. And one of the ones that actually spoke to me, we put it on LinkedIn and Grapevine and, and we had hundreds of applicants and yet one that actually was addressed to me, it was posted to the studio and it, was, it arrived on my desk and so I opened it. And actually, um, the lady was very suitable for the job and, and we're still going through the recruitment process for that position. But, um, you know, she'd, she'd written a very honest letter and she'd um, actually said, oh, I've been listening to this and I've read about your um, planning permission. And it was a very personal um, letter. It wasn't long, but it was. It clearly showed she'd done her research and she'd found out who was who was the person at the studio to to speak to, and she posted her letter. And I'm not saying that I'm now going to get an influx of junk mail, but of people <laughs> applying handwritten letters yeah. every day. Um, but but kind of you know do your research, find out who you're contacting, and you know while mass mailing out is a great way to go, and and you know you you may get a few strikes. Um, I think do your research, find out who you're contacting, what they do. And because if you show a little bit of interest in what somebody does, you're more than likely to get a positive response from them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is a people industry after all. So it's so important that you kind of align with each other and feel like you could connect and work together. Yeah. And Um, I think also going to, you know, the trade shows, the trade shows that are free for people to go to. Um, I mean, obviously, there's Amsterdam IBC, but, you know, there's uh, the media production show in the UK. There's uh, the BSC holder show. Um, you know, there's lots of free events, you know, televisual, sign up for all the newsletters, you know, just be aware of what's going on in the industry. And it's all free to do and it's freely accessible. Just do your research. The Internet is a wonderful and terrifying place at the same time. <laughs> Definitely wise words. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm going to probably have to bump up my email subscriptions on that basis, actually. <laughs> so uh, great all round advice. I'll sign you up later. Don't worry. I'll sign you up to our newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I'd be willing. Um, but that's just brilliant. And to me, it just seems like a perfect high note to end on, really. Yeah. Such an encouraging message. And as Owen Shirley says, it's, um, this podcast is very much about trying to promote that idea. So Absolutely. it's great to hear somebody say it. Well, we love working with you guys. And, you know, um, as I said, we, you know, we actively want to support you guys going forward as well. And, um, and because, you know, we're all stronger when we work together. Um, and I think, you know, we all need to work to build the talent for the future um, and and to ensure that we're providing the best possible service for our clients. So it would be great working with you guys in the future as well. Yeah, absolutely true. What a pleasure. Well, thank you so much, Cara, for that and this chat. Yeah, thanks, Cara. You're very welcome. You're absolutely welcome. And it was a pleasure talking to you guys. Okay, thanks. Yeah, Speak to you again sometime. Yes, hope so. Cheers. Speak to you soon, guys. Bye. So welcome back to the pub with us and uh, thanks so much again to Cara for taking the time to chat with us during a very busy schedule uh, in her office. Um, It's just great to hear so many insights from her um, based on such a wide-ranging career um, and get her thoughts on diversity and the positive way in which the industry might move forward. Yeah, we'd also like to thank Twickenham Film Studios again for their ongoing support as an AMP sustaining member. It's really, really much appreciated. 
Um, and likewise, we'd like to thank Bubblebee, another sustaining member, for the use of their Bubblebee wind bubbles, which we're currently using over our um, radio mics. Yeah, they're making it possible for us to record outdoors in a pub, um, which we're both very happy about. Yep. And so just want to add to that that, you know, if you enjoyed the episode, um, let us know what you think. You can reach us as usual at ampspodcast.gmail.com or at ampspodcast on Twitter. And yep. if you have any ideas, any new uh, inspiration for future episodes, then just let us know what you think as well. Yeah, and AMP's membership is open to those working in sound for film, TV and games, as well as students who intend to make it their profession. So for more information about AMP's and how you can become a member, you can visit our website, which is amps.net. And I think it uh, might be time to order another pint, Owen. Yeah, I'd say so. See you again. See you again. Hi, this is Christian from the Sound Effect Podcast. In our latest episode, you'll hear supervising sound editor Koya Elliott of Skywalker Sound and re-recording mixer, sound designer, and supervising sound editor Ren Kleiss talk about their work on the latest Pixar animated feature, Soul. Hear it all at asoundeffect.com forward slash podcast. Hi, all. This is Becky and Susan from the Sound Girls podcast, where we speak to audio professionals from all walks of life. Join us Tuesdays at 9 a.m. and listen to the amazing array of sound humans talk about how they got into the biz. You can find the Sound Girls podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as our website, soundgirls.org.